0: Welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast by Scott L. Wyatt, president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash president's podcast, where you will find both the audio and a written transcript for today's podcast. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, the president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. I'm your host, Steve Meredith, and I'm joined in studio again today, as I always am, by President Wyatt. Scott, how are you? Terrific. Thanks, Steve. And we have been um, harping sort of endlessly on the spectacular fall weather that we've been having. I want to just say one more time to everyone else around the country. Nya nya yeah. It's beautiful here in southern Utah. (laughs) It's not always this beautiful, but holy mackerel, it is beautiful here uh, right now. And the leaves are just starting to change up on top of the mountains, and it's a spectacular time to be here.
1: Yeah, it's the kind of time of year when you can open the window in your house, and the pulp thing cools down, and you're ready for the next day. Yep.
0: Well, as our listeners know we have been talking about a number of interesting and innovative things related to higher education and this very disruptive time that we're living in in the world of higher education and uh, one of the things that suu has been doing has been uh, looking at expanding our offerings in online education and uh, we have someone here in studio actually with us today to discuss higher education's push towards online accessibility generally and and also uh, about a partnership that that we're involved with their uh, entity and uh, I I'm excited to have her join us you want to in, introduce yeah. our guest
1: we've been doing online for I don't know how long Steve actually 10 or 20 years yeah,
0: 20 years uh, probably yeah a, a long a, a, a almost right from the very beginning of when those things were offered.
1: Um, and my dad took an online class back in the 50s.
0: It just was delivered through the
1: mail. It wasn't actually online. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we are delighted to welcome Phyllis Halpenfeld. Thank you. Uh, direct from California, but you work for Academic Partnerships, which is based in Dallas, Texas. That's right. Um, Thanks for joining us.
2: I'm delighted to be here. And in fact, the weather is beautiful. And I don't say that very often when I travel around because it's usually more beautiful in San Diego no matter where I am. So, <laughs> Yeah, you get
0: to say yeah, yeah, yan yeah to everybody all the time. <laughs> On a regular
2: Diego. basis. But not today. It's beautiful
1: here. Yeah, the f- most homes in San Diego de- don't even have air conditioning or heating.
2: That's right. I've never had air conditioning in my home and I don't today. Although things are warming up a bit, so we have to look into that, but yeah, no air conditioning.
1: Well, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, Phyllis. We'd love to hear um, uh, you did not go to college in an online program, but now you're spending your career helping develop online programs, and we'd love to hear how you got to that place.
2: Sure. So... Uh, by education, I'm a lawyer actually. And uh, shortly after law school, I practiced law for a little while, but my draw was to higher education. And one of the reasons for that was that going to law school is such a daunting endeavor. And um, I was a little bit older. I was an older student when I went, and I was fearful. I was fearful that I wasn't going to succeed. And so uh, after graduating from law school, there's a period of time when you're waiting patiently for your bar results I
1: remember that time. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and what I did was I uh, traveled the country and recruited students uh, for my law school my alma mater and what I realized when I was doing that is that all the deans of admissions and the deans of the law schools and other folks at high-level administrative positions were lawyers and it brought me such joy to be able to talk to students about higher ed in a real way and uh, kind of knocked down some of those barriers for them. The students who were fearful, like I was, of not being successful and being an older student. and it Can I do this? So I kind of tucked in the back of my head that uh, talking to students about opportunities in higher ed was something I might like to do one day. Well, it didn't take that long. Uh, I practiced law for a relatively short period of time and I decided to make a move into higher ed. So I started with the law schools naturally and very quickly uh, took a position with a kind of a struggling law school in Orange County, California. And uh, I was their outreach person and so I traveled around the community and just talked to people about what it was like uh, to go back to school and, and, and convince people that they could do it. And it was just an extremely rewarding thing. Well several years later uh, a law school was opening in Phoenix, Arizona, and they reached out to me and they recruited me to be their dean of admission there, and it was literally starting a school from scratch. Um, and so there was born my uh, passion for startup, because I, when I started there was no campus, there was uh, no application, no marketing materials, no I mean there was nothing, no faculty, no library. And I was tasked with re- recruiting a, a class of qualified students within, you know, a four-month period. So I remember sitting down and thinking, well, how am I going to do this exactly? You know, I did, I had a laptop and that was it. Uh, <laughs> so I bought a bunch of cookies and I started inviting people to come and just talk to me and talk to me about their educational endeavors and what they had in mind and what they would like to do. Well, long story short, we started a law school there and I became passionate about this, you know, higher ed and, and starting new things from scratch. Um, and that brought me to Phoenix for one year. It was maybe the longest year of my life because I'm a San Diego native. So you can imagine that I um, was not enjoying the weather and other things. Yeah, I lived things. there for 20 years. <laughs> so you know, yeah, you I can't do. go outside for six months out of a year. So uh, I basically... Picked up the phone after one year, and I said, "I need to get back to California, and I'll I'll do anything in higher ed." And I I came back and I started working uh, with online students in a, in a variety of capacities in business and education and other uh, educational verticals. And um, pretty soon I, I had a few babies myself, three of them. I took a little break, reevaluated. And um, took a position in what is what is frequently called uh, OPMs, which is an online program manager management company, which is uh, what Academic Partnerships is. I think it's a little bit of, ooh, excuse me of a misnomer. Um, in that uh, we're not really managing online programs. We're uh, strategic partners with universities and helping them figure out their online strategy. But nonetheless, I started doing that, and that was about uh, 10 years ago, and I have been doing that ever since, and it it gives me a lot of joy. I'm now not talking to students, uh, but I'm talking to folks at a high-level administrative and faculty and other folks within the university system to help them understand what's happening in the marketplace and take a close look at what the objectives are in higher ed and help universities make cultural shifts. Uh, Those that are interested in making cultural shifts, you know, help them just with facts and data so that they can do that in a, in a smooth way. Um, And so that's where I am now, and I've been with academic partnerships for about three and a half years, and uh, I work with a number of universities in my capacity.
1: I think most people that work at universities would be surprised how many consultants help with different kinds of things. I think it's... Yeah. um, The world has become so sophisticated, and... uh, I can think of a whole list of consultants that we yeah. gen- work with regularly
0: and and they're terrific to work with it, and it helps us not to have to worry about every single aspect or or possibly not, not even that yeah, we, we that we can't fully completely comprehend and understand because again we have our day job that keeps us focused on Keeping the door open right. for at the, at the university it's hard to it's hard to be on the cutting edge that's actually one of the reasons why we have this podcast is because it it gets us talking to people who are outside of our uh, outside of our group of our sphere of influence a little bit and we try to bring people in who may see the world just a little differently than we do
1: um yeah and and we could hire somebody to do these things rather than hire consultants, but then they start losing an understanding of what everybody else is doing. And that's one of the neat things about academic partnerships, Phyllis is that you're working with so many universities that we get the benefit of of a lot of wisdom.
2: Well absolutely and I talk to partners about this a lot just not not everybody at every university is is on board with having a a partner in any capacity, but you know, there's no entity that can be an expert at all things all the time, AP included. And so we have a laser focus on studying the market, understanding what students need and what students want, and then providing that information to our partners so that they can make the right choice for their institution. And um, you know, most university, most entities can't do all things at all times, and that's one of them. You right. don't have the time, the resources, you know, financial or, or, you know, otherwise, to do the kind of work that we do. And we don't have the the capacity to do the work that a university does, and so we don't even
1: attempt to do that. Our board chair uh, just mentioned to me last week an interesting comment about the, that it is a— um, An organization is self-confident, secure. You can tell that they're secure if they're willing to outsource some things instead of trying to hold everything tight. The ability to make wise decisions about what you do internal, what you do external. But Phyllis, it would be fun to hear a little bit about the history of academic partnerships because um, the company you work with has a very interesting story. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I was uh, coincidentally just thinking about it this morning as I was watching the news, uh, you know, of some of the storms taking place in the southeast Texas area. Uh, I think it was back in 2005, maybe 2006, I think 2005, Hurricane Rita tore through that same region. And Lamar University, which is located in Beaumont, Texas, was uh, destroyed in for all intents and purposes and uh, about 80 percent of the buildings were destroyed and there was a mass exodus of students at that time for obvious reasons and so the university decided to reach out to our chairman who is a notable uh, Lamar alumni and uh, Randy Best, and they reached out to him and, and asked him for financial help. They said, you know, is there anything you can do to help us rebuild our university? It's, you know, in dire straits. And what he said to them was, you know, he would love to help, um, but he said, why don't, why don't we do something that's more sustainable than just putting the buildings back up, I and mean, we need to do that, of course, too, but let's look at building an online program a program where students who don't live right here in Beaumont, Texas, could enroll. And so they did just that. There was no AP at the time. Um, It was built around this concept of, of working together on a sustainable plan for Lamar University's rebuild. And so they did just that, and I think it was within three years of that hurricane uh, Lamar University had almost 5,000 students and was the fastest growing university, online university in Texas.
1: And how many students did the university have prior to the story? Yeah,
2: you know, it's a good question. I don't know that I have the answer to that. I don't know that they had any online students. Um, I think that was uh, new for them.
1: Was it more? Did they have more students or less after f- just a few years? They had more students. More students. Yes. That was really my question. Yes. So through the storm and the building of an online program, the university actually ended up becoming bigger. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. More, had more influence Yes. For students.
2: And absolutely. And they, they you know have since that time, of course, expanded. At the time, I believe they launched with uh, mostly education programs, and then they have continued to grow on that and built their programs outside of
1: that. Well, you're in this industry all the time. Uh, give us a perspective of what's happening in higher education in terms of the growth of online programs.
2: Well, there's no doubt that um, you know uh, online is providing the kind of accessibility to students who are location bound. I mean, the marketplace for your traditional students is about three and a half million a year graduates the uh, adult learner, the online student is 20 25 times that size. So you have uh, you know students who have an undergraduate degree but are location bound because they're they're working they have families. Uh, I think there's approximately 60 million people in that category and then you have another 30 million people who have some Degree some uh, credits earned, right? So they've started working on something, but then they have to stop, you know, military folks, people that move, people that have careers and other things. And so uh, not reaching out to that population is incredibly short-sighted. At this point, you know, uh, a lot of universities are reaching out at varying degrees, right? So there's, you know, a handful of schools who are educating, you know, thousands of students and then many, many more that are at a much lower level. Um, But across the board, uh, universities are starting to look at that population because your on-ground traditional populations are starting to decline. About 15% of all students at this point are taking 100% online programs then you have another i don't know 15 17% something like that who are taking at least some courses that are in an online format so you know 32% or so i was i was actually just talking to a colleague of mine that you know i have i have small children at home so does he and I was saying how frustrating it is because my children, um, even at their middle school and, and high school, have online components in their courses, every single course, and they have had since elementary school. So kids are growing up today, you know in Canvas, which is you know, a learning yeah. management system. He said at his uh, elementary school, they're using online learning to make up for snow days and other things like that, you know, which of course is a San Diego native, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> but I was lamenting that how, uh, you know, in higher ed, uh, especially doing what I do and understanding, you know, how to pedagogically how to put together a quality online program, you know, in the elementary and middle schools, they don't know how to do that. And it's, it's such a challenge for my kids to figure out how to navigate online because they haven't put into place any of the, you know, strategies that most universities are, are putting into place, which I know a lot about. But my point is, is that from an early age, you know, on, um, students are, are embroiled in online learning. And so by the time the kids, you know, my kids' age, make their way to college that's going to be the expectation
0: 100% we had a grandson that lived his uh, family lived with us last year while his dad was finishing up his last year of medical school and um, it one of the local cedar city schools has a chinese immersion program and so he sponsored was sponsored by the fortune university SUU, yeah and uh, and our grandson was in that Chinese Immersion Program, and the entire thing nearly was taught, uh, or at least th- th- there There was, of course, much face-to-face uh, language immersion, but the homework entirely was online through, I think, through Canvas, um, which made me smile at my first-grade grandson was struggling with Canvas just like Grandpa does. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, sorry, sorry, Canvas folks. Um, but uh, anyway, it, you're absolutely right. There, there there, will not be a generation that grows up now that doesn't uh, feel they are native in much the same way that there's not a generation that will raise up that can't imagine when phones had cords and, you know, were attached to a wall and you couldn't walk around with them in your pocket and use them to take pictures. It's just, it's a, it's a complete paradigm shift where there's uh, there, no one that's, and I'm not going to lump you in with Scott and I uh, in terms of age-wise, but but there won't be any memory at all of of education delivered entirely the old way very soon. Uh, Absolutely. Certainly not, none among the students. And as uh, as we near retirement, uh, well, th- th- there'll be a whole other group of people who, Come in as administrators, and they'll, you know, this this being being on the front edge, being on the pointy edge of the stick, and I'm not sure we even qualify at that uh, at this point, but but trying to do things in advance of what appears to us to be an overwhelming wave that's coming and probably already here, uh, it it uh, it seems like a no-brainer. Sometimes it's not, though. I mean, sometimes we, we have to pause make sure we're doing it the right way and we want to integrate it the right way. But but there's no question, that's my long rambling point, sorry. Yeah. No question that this is not only here but here to stay and we'll, uh, we suggest uh, probably half the degrees delivered by the typical university going forward. And I mean just the typical university will be online in nature.
2: Yeah, I think there will absolutely be an online component. Uh, You know, your traditional student is is still going to want to, you know, go away to college and live in a dorm. And, you know, there's going to be both. Um, But to your point, you know, I don't think my children even think that they have an online component in their courses, but they do. So there isn't an online versus on-ground mentality at that age. And, you know, they will be in college in four years so they they don't see the difference it's all the same to them and there's also of course you know again this is this is the strength of partnering with somebody like us is that we can bring the you know the market changes quickly universities tend to move a little bit more slowly right and so it's it's the universities who can figure out ways to be nimble and accommodate the marketplace. And I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say there are times when I have a conversation with a partner, and then six months later, I'm having a slightly different conversation. And, you know, most universities can't, you know, shift and move that quickly. But that's what's happening in the marketplace. And we talk a lot about this, you know, Amazon mentality, right? Our kids grow up in instant, I want something, and I'm and I'm going to go get it, and I'm going to have it delivered in four hours. Right. And they want the same thing in every <laughs> aspect of their life, fortunately or unfortunately. And um, that's not to say that higher ed needs to you know, uh, adjust itself in that way, but there are certain aspects of it um, that are going to be, need to be addressed for that, you know, that age coming in. So there's no doubt about it. I mean, online, as you mentioned, you may have been on the cutting edge because online's been around for a couple of decades. Um, but it does continue to grow. But I'm sure, you know, a lot of people talk about the MBA, for example. And uh, a lot of even, you know, a lot of universities are looking at closing down their on-ground uh, programs their two-year traditional, you know, MBA programs. Um, because I think it's approximately 70% of all traditional MBA programs have been on a decline for a number of years. And um, even the online uh, MBA programs, are, you know, growing. they're still growing, but at a slower pace. But the ones that are still continuing to grow are the ones that are looking at that demand and looking at what people uh, would like to see in their, in their programs and trying their best to meet those demands. And so that's going to be the game. That's going to be what it looks like in, in, some, in some parts of higher ed, you know, is figuring out uh, what's next, to your point, what's next and what are people looking for and how can we try to
1: meet that demand. Well, you talk about a lot of these face to face graduate programs uh, on the decline. In Utah, the last data that I saw, which is old, But the trend was continuing, so I'm assuming that it's uh, at least the same, if not higher, but 40% of all graduate students in Utah were in online programs. Mm -hmm. Um, I was intrigued by it. We we had a visitor that we spoke with from Georgia who said that um, this was Georgia Tech. Right. And he told us that... uh, They have an online and they have a face-to-face program in computer science. And the the face-to-face were all international students. And the online were all domestic students.
2: Well, yeah, that's one of the things that surprises (laughs) most universities is that, um, you know, your online students are local. Uh, 50% or so come within 50 miles, live within 50 miles, and another 75% live within 100. So these are students, because the brand recognition is there, they already understand who you are and the culture and and what the um, offerings are, and they're interested in that. They just can't get here. And so as soon as something opens up and there's an opportunity, they jump on it. So, um, you know, most universities are a little bit surprised by that.
1: We had a I had a meeting with our student body officers here on campus, and of any group that's committed to a face-to-face education, it would be the student body officers because they're in the middle of all the activity, mm-hmm. uh, excitement of being here, young, energetic, surrounded by thousands of other students their age, mentoring with other people. Right. But one of the themes they said was, please get us more online classes. Right. <laughs> that was not something I was expecting from them. Yeah. And and I think that most of us in our, I say most of us in our, Phyllis, you wouldn't qualify here probably. Steve and I are approaching fit 60.
0: In our dotage, yes. We are.
1: <laughs> yeah. Most of us think, you know, the the youth aren't really great with online programs, and we just forget that. They grew up with online. It's interesting, you, your music students have never been in a music store. No. To buy a record or a CD or...
0: We used to drive to Los Angeles um, to go to Tower Records. Mm-hmm. You know, they're on Sunset Boulevard. Yep, 100%. And go to a concert and yep. buy CDs and get people <laughs> to sign things. And yep. uh, um, there's no... An, uh, Tower Records, there's no such thing as a record store anymore. Nobody knows even what you're talking about. Interestingly, they know what you're talking about when you say record because uh, all the real hipsters now release on vinyl, (laughs) uh, which, you know, they think is cool and fun, and I think, okay, don't leave them in your car, though. They're going to melt. But uh, uh, it's an an interesting, uh, as you say, they're – well, we've we've pointed at this particular uh, business change uh, even more to the point where uh, as ubiquitous on every corner during even some of our current students' lifetime as a Starbucks was a blockbuster video. And you know it, you you not only can't find it I mean, I read an article that the last blockbuster video which was in Alaska, was closing mm. right? and and you not only can't find a Blockbuster video, but if you think about it, Blockbuster got killed by Redbox. Redbox got killed by Netflix. And so we've seen two entire business changes in the course of 10 years. Um, and not only that, but the things that you used to go get at Blockbuster don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. You used to go get a videotape people may know what those are but then if you were you know moving on you went to get a dvd and people still may know what those are but but you (laughs) know so not only does the physical store not exist not only does the the distribution model not exist but the product doesn't even exist really Mm -hmm. anymore and it's just shocking to me that i mean this was a large company Yeah, and 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 not only was it gone, but it's almost—it's like we wiped it off the face of the earth and salted the ground so that no one could even remember that that anything happened there. And I, I'm just always shocked by that. Every time I drive past where Tower Records used to be, I'm shocked that something that seemed so permanent and you know it seemed like we would always listen to CDs. Because they were so great. And well,
2: I'm going to tell you um, so much. I think your Tower Records store So that Tower Records story, I told almost that exact story to my girls. I said we'd go to concerts and then we'd hang out at Tower Records and wait for the traffic to die down and for right. the wee hours. And we'd and now my daughter for Christmas she asked for a turntable and now we go record shopping. There you so go. It's coming back. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Now it's, you're talking. It's the coming. record stores are the size of the <laughs> studio, but That's it's right. coming. Well, right. <laughs> yeah, it is coming back. Um but I actually don't get it because the record it does not sound as good. That's right. It
2: doesn't
0: sound as good. And it's you, retro. And if you dance around, it uh, hops and skips. And <laughs> yes, all does. the problems, that CDs fixed. Right. You know, uh, we're bringing them back. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't let's,
1: you remember when it CDs came
0: out? <laughs> out I was like, wow, oh, let's bring yes. back Scarlet Fever. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, let's not. It wasn't that great.
2: <laughs> it's hilarious. Yes, you're absolutely right. All those things happen, and it's like my daughter gets giddy when it skips. Like that's a... <gasps> It's skipping. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, and I like old cars. Oh, yeah. But there's a reason why we don't sell that's them that's anymore. Right. They're not comfortable. They're not comfortable. <laughs> they break down. Yeah.
0: I, they're, they're entire. Sorry, I'm getting off track. But they're, they're entire songs that I know with an eight track. Change in the uh-huh. middle. of the- I know that the song stops. <laughs> yeah. There's a clicking sound from my mom and dad's car for the eight-track player, and oh, then it goes on. So, so yeah the the way that we think about technology, especially if you've got a few miles on the odometer as we do, uh, has just changed so dramatically, and we can't imagine in higher ed sometimes that it that that we have to adapt in in the same way that blockbuster. Maybe didn't adapt. Maybe they had the chance to invest in Redbox. Maybe they had the chance to invest in Netflix when they were a big company. Mm-hmm. Maybe IBM had the chance to buy Microsoft when IBM was a big company and Microsoft was a little company, but they didn't. And that's what we're trying to maybe, avoid here. We're, maybe
1: Kodak could have done. That's, that's right. Been well, the leader of digital.
2: There is one. There is one aspect, and I was walking around the student center here earlier today and looking at the kids at the you know meal with their meal plans and and you know the one thing that's a little bit different is that we have two distinct audiences here you know and currently at least that's our current situation and, and you're going to always have students who want to be here and they right. want to live in the dorms and they want the meal plan and they want the social aspect Go and they want game. the clubs it's and like a, all of that
1: yeah it's like a coming to maturity. That's
2: right. 100%. And the marketing strategy, I mean, you know, we we have a laser focus on what we do in terms of marketing. And we we barely touch anybody that's, you know, sitting over there in your student center, they don't, they wouldn't see it for the most part. um, Because that's not the target market. And, you know, students who want to come here are going to continue to want to come here, with one small exception. There are are folks who would like to do it online but are fearful because they're in that age group maybe that didn't grow up with Canvas in their elementary school, right? And so there's a level of fear that I don't know if I can do that. Um, There's also, you know, uh, we're right in the middle, I would say, of this sort of reputational discussion, um, about online, right? So online has very much gone from, you know, this uh, f- folks thinking about it as, you know, um, easier or l- lower quality. Lacking rigor. Exactly, mm-hmm. to almost the opposite. And when I talk to people, uh, especially students who are thinking about online, I spend time telling them, you know, this is going to probably be more challenging than what you're used to. And one of the reasons for that is that you can't be invisible. You can't be in a big lecture hall uh, unprepared until the last day. Uh, You know, you have to be prepared all the time. And especially if you're in an accelerated format, which is what most adults are looking for. There is no time, uh, you know, to, to not pay attention. Um, And you, you know, there's responsibilities to, to provide your, you know, to, to dialogue on a daily basis. And, you know, most of your on-ground courses aren't like that. There's a little bit more time and and you can sit in a lecture and not raise your hand and not respond and maybe not have read that day and nobody's going to notice. And you just don't have that same kind of expectation in an online format. And so, and, and especially now with the technology and some of the, the, um, Uh, formatting and templates and things like that uh, that I was explaining is lacking in the elementary school, you know, the, the rigor is at least equal, you know, to what you're getting in the classroom. And, you know, from a, from a, um, a standpoint of, you know, getting accreditation, for example, it has to be at minimally the same exact program. Right. So, you know, I think there's a shift in thought, about what a, what online means, and it's it's kind of going away, even at the highest level, some of your chief academic officers officers across the country are recognizing online is not lesser. Um, and so you know a, and it's up to every university to make it as rigorous as That's you right. know
1: you can make it. It's still the faculty that are in charge of it hundred percent,
2: yeah. So, you know, there is that, there is that, there is, you know, again, there's kind of this fear that online is going to take over and all the universities are going to shrivel up like block, Blockbuster. And, right. and I just, you know, that's just not the case. Well, I say that this is going to be recorded and someday right. <laughs> someone might pull this out of a time capsule, <laughs> but, um, you know, not in the foreseeable future, right? There's, there's always going to be that desire to... To yeah. Attend the university experience. Well, and
1: as we continue to expand our online uh, offerings, we're at the exact same time um, building new classrooms for mm-hmm. face-to-face students. We've right. got a we've got a proposal to build a ninety-thousand-square-foot building, and it's uh, moving through. And we think we'll be with uh, all good luck. We'll be breaking ground in a little more than a year. So we're committed to the face-to-face experience, mm-hmm. and uh, for the students and the faculty that love that kind of an environment. What well, is it the,
0: it, Sorry, oh, no. it is as you say, two different groups of people. Two different groups. I mean, Absolutely, it's really what we're talking about: mm-hmm. is two different groups of people. Yeah.
1: There's a group of people for whom they cannot get this ticket. To Absolutely. Unless we find a way to deliver it for them.
2: Yes. And what I find is, that at least the universities that I partner with, um, almost without exception, um, you know, the strategic plans that are in place have a specific call out to address this audience. And um, more and more universities are doing that. You know, it's not just the three and a half million high school grads. There's a whole audience, a much larger audience of people who have not had access in, at, at a large scale to, to an education. And so universities are starting to say, how can we, um, I like to say, open up the funnel? How can we, you know, provide our high quality education to more people? Um, and that's a shift. It's a big shift. And um, I know I had a conversation with a few folks here before where, you know, culturally um, the the shift from, you know, being higher ed being exclusive. Right. And trying to exclude people. You know, the whole job of the admissions folks was to not let people in. Right. right? And,
0: and they are. Ranked higher by U.S. News and World Report for doing so.
1: Yep, yes, at ah, least for you now. You turned away so many people. Congratulations! You must be awesome. Yes, yeah. denying so 96% many people. Ninety-six percent.
0: We told to go away. <laughs>
1: yes. Way to go. Yes, yeah, you denied ninety-six percent of the applicants an opportunity to advance their careers. You must be amazing.
2: Yes, and that, but there's a big <laughs> shift, and you know I always say, um, and. and here's one of the benefits that we bring to the table. So, um, you know, universities don't know what it will mean for them to open up that funnel, to open the opportunity to more people, right? And I always say, you know, universities in the past have um, required people to prove their ability to succeed before they let them try to succeed. And now there's this shift. Let's let people try to succeed and see if they can succeed. And a lot of you know, universities are fearful that, well, what is that going to mean for retention? Are students going to actually succeed? I mean, nobody wants to admit a student and have them pay a tuition dollar, even one, if we don't think they're going to make it through the right. program. Nobody right. wants that. But what we're finding is that by opening this funnel and offering an opportunity to more people, we are not finding uh, declines in retention. We're just not finding that across the board, at, at least at the graduate level. And, um, you know, it's a wonderful thing. When we have universities who say, you know, we have an amazing program here, I say, great, let's, let's educate more people within your state and across the country. Let's do that, you know.
0: Many of those life disruptions that lead to non-finishing, if that's the right way to say it, um, people not persisting, are mitigated somewhat by being able to deliver a program online. 100%.
2: You know,
0: I, we, I, I'm partnering in my master's degree program with AP. I'm very happy about that. Um, but our students, I, I want to say that probably one out of every four of our students had begun a graduate program in music somewhere else and life intervened. Mm-hmm. And they were unable to finish for whatever reason and our our program gave them a lifeline to a master of music degree which they needed as president wyatt suggested as a ticket to whatever the next thing for them was for some it's just interest and they want to learn more about music technology but for many others this is the ticket to uh, adjunct faculty work which is then the ticket to uh, uh, getting accepted to doctoral school or or whatever and, and and becoming a professor or it's the ticket to increasing their salary as a Mm -hmm. public school teacher or it's the ticket to um being able to in some way increase their uh, viability and their uh, their value to their employer and We've we've had many of our students just say this is a miracle. I was able to do this in a year. I was able to do it. I never thought I was going to be able to finish graduate school, and you've you know you've saved my graduate career, and that's very satisfying.
2: Yeah, there's actually uh, about 82 percent of online students report that they are completing their degree for career advancement reasons. So most, almost all. Um, that you're exactly right in terms of the target. And the nice thing about the programs, the online programs, as you're setting them up here, um, is that flexibility for students to step in and step out of the program relatively easily for that exact thing. Things come up, life comes up. And if you're in a traditional program and you have to leave because you, know, you have a big conference to go to or you're having a baby or you're moving or any of those things and you can't get right back in in the next term, Nine times out of 10, you just stop you're going. Done. That's right. And this program that we're building here allows for people to come and go. So the nice thing is you're not forcing them to, to continue when it's not the right time. A lot of students in a traditional program where there isn't that flexibility will force themselves to stay, even though they're having a baby, even though they're having all these other things. And then they fail out. And then they're gone forever. And their opportunity is lost. So it's um, 100% you're you're spot on about what those students are looking for and why this kind of program is exactly what they need and why a traditional program would never work for them.
1: We live in the uh, epicenter of some college, no degree. Utah's right at the top of the list in the country for having the percentage of its population that has some college and no degree. And it's probably because in Utah, people tend to get married and have children earlier than other places. So mm-hmm. life happens faster here. And then they they have a hard time getting back. Yeah. Just have a hard time.
2: There's no doubt about that. There's, there's, in, in fact, um, in terms of online growth, the majority of online students are in degree completion programs at a two-year or four-year level.
1: So there is some um, data out there that I think you know, Phyllis, that is the, the likelihood of success in completing an online program is greater if the student comes with some courses already completed.
2: Yes, it's, yes, because, I mean, the online student currently, the current market, like I can only tell you right now, it could be different six months, um, The in terms of what they're looking for and what they need is low cost. Number one concern for students um, in, in an online program, working adults, is the cost, and then time to completion. And so if you have a student... Um, who is ha- a non-traditional student, meaning they are working, they have families, and they have zero credits. It's a, it's a pretty overwhelming um, task to get started and to, to get through that. But a student who comes in and has uh, 30 credits or 40 credits or even 15 or 18, it feels less daunting for them. And if uh, you have a student who can get enrolled in a program that's a degree completion program and they can get all credit for all of those this this comes up a lot with military folks because they have credits from all over the place and not necessarily clear focus and if you have a program where they can bring all of those and complete quickly because remember number two is completing quickly then if they can see that finish line they start and they finish but it's the folks who have trouble seeing the finish line and seeing it coming soon and seeing that raise that they're going to get or the promotion that they're going to get. And so that's one of the reasons that, you know, folks who come in, um, you know, with some credits are going to be more successful.
0: Well, it's one of the reasons you, you mentioned that being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel and being able to see it reasonably quickly, it's one of the reasons why your model is based on this compressed semester system, right? Yeah, absolutely. Speak just a little bit about that. we our, our listeners may not know about that.
2: Sure. So, um, again, because we, we do look at the market and, uh, one of my favorite sayings that my boss said to me one day was, you know, we don't create the market. We just tell you what it is. And, uh, I love that. I say that all the time because, um, You know, it's, that's, that's a fact that, you know, here's what's happening and here's, here it is. Now, what can we do about that? So we, we like to, you know, let you know, let a university partner know what is happening and what the recommendations are. And so currently, we know that online students, again, care about cost number one, time to completion number two. And so, With that in mind, we help universities take their programs, their curriculum, and put it into a format that's going to be most appealing to the online students. And so it should have starts all the time. We know that students who are looking at online programs are only going to apply to three or fewer schools, it's usually two or one. They've already, they know what they want. They've already done their research, and by the time they apply, they're just looking at one or two schools.
0: So either because of brand recognition or the program type, that's sp- specific to that. Well,
2: university. interestingly, it's actually more often than not. So if if a student is looking at um, a state school, let's say they're looking at SUU, they are assuming the quality. They are assuming the, you know, they probably already know the brand because they're an alumni or they live near him, right? So those two things aside, now they're looking at cost and time to completion. And they want to get in quickly. They want to start now. And so the faster a university can, um, you know, accept an application and turn them into an enrollment, the better. So we know students are looking at just one or two uh, universities by the time they apply for all those reasons we just talked about, and then they want to start now. And most students uh, in an online program will apply within 30 days of when they want to start, 30 days or fewer from when they want to actually start. So we've gone a long way away from the, you know, you apply in the fall and you're going to start next fall. That's just that model is not applicable to these students in any way, shape or form. Right. And so they want to start now and they want to do it quickly. And so having more starts, so you'll find that a lot of on, online programs will start five, six, eight, ten times a year. That's pretty critical because once a student submits that application, they want to start next week, right? Um, so being able to do that uh, quickly, being able to make admissions decisions quickly, having short, you know, six, seven, eight-week courses so that students, you know, get started, they're dealing with one course, they're completing it, they can put that in their belt and move on to the next one. It also allows, if you have, you know, a lot of starts and, and, um, and have short periods, if a student does need to take time off for one of those other things that we talked about, they can come back in six weeks. They don't have to wait six months until the course is offered again next fall or next spring or next summer or whatever the case is. All of those things, you know, um, are critical for universities to address if they want to, um, you know, appeal to the
0: online student. So then in practical application, the programs that SUU is running in partnership with you will have start dates approximately once every eight weeks. That's right. Or thereabouts. So that's... That's got to be encouraging to students who, as you suggest, are raring to go. They're, they're wanting to start as soon as they can.
1: If your market is limited to high school graduates, it makes perfect sense. Everybody graduates from high school at the same time. They take their summer break. They all start at the same time. It makes sense. But once you leave a recent high school graduate, it doesn't make sense for anyone in the world, does it?
2: No. I, and you have to I've understand. I've got this big
1: lofty goal. And I'm going to start it in eight months. Right. Really? I mean, I'm irritated that I have to wait four weeks to get a furniture. They want to be done in eight months. Yeah. That's That's no
2: exaggeration. They want to be done in eight months and start tomorrow. And I mean, they're, and and that's why I say, you know, you can't apply the same rules to this, this group. It's a completely different audience. They will, something like 80% or 75% of students will end up enrolling in the first school that calls them, if they've reached out to three or four schools, I mean, given of course that they've already decided that right. they're interested right. in those mm-hmm. three schools, not just you know, throwing it out to the world. But if they've picked three schools and reach out, a huge percentage of them will go to the one that calls them first and gets the ball rolling and gets them started. If you can, uh, if a student can apply and get admitted and enrolled within 30 days or less, 72% of those students will start in your program. It goes down significantly after that. So, you know, you can't apply the same rules. They just they want it they want to start, they want to start quickly. They don't want it to yeah. cost them a fortune because they're often paying out of pocket or, you know, they they right. know they're going to get a promotion and a raise, but the raise isn't going to be $100,000. It's going to be $10,000. So they don't want to spend more than that on their degree, right? They're savvy. They're savvy about their finances and their budget and all of those things. Undergrad, traditional undergrad students don't think about that at all.
0: We've recently entered into a partnership (laughs) with Southwest Tech, our local technical college uh, dual enrollment partnership. And this sounds funny but but I actually wrote an article about that and I said one of the one of the strangest cultural shifts between us and them is that we say school starts in August it starts in January and it starts again in May and they say school starts on Monday.
1: Yes. Yeah, every single Monday. Every yeah. single
0: Monday. Come on down we'll get we, you started. We mm-hmm. did a what a great <laughs> way to get people going. Absolutely.
1: Know? We um Our recruiters that uh, help students get into online programs are completely different people and they work out of a different building than the recruiters that are working with high school Mm -hmm. graduates. Um, It's very, very different. We did a focus group with high school students. When you're talking about, I want to get this, I want to get started and I want to get done. um, We proposed to a bunch of high school students that we were thinking about doing a Guarantee four-year degree, you know that we're going to guarantee you can graduate in four years if you come here. And now we're shifting to we are going to guarantee you can graduate in three years if you come here, Mm -hmm. including summers. And what we found was is the students kind of yawned through that. It's like, well, doesn't everybody graduate in four (laughs) years? You know, doesn't everybody graduate? Isn't that the whole point? Um, They're just not really thinking about it, but. When you are 18, you're immortal and gonna live forever. And when a person is 35 or 40 or 50, there's a limit to how much longer we've got. And we don't want to wait to get started into our big life goals.
2: Well, yeah, and if you know there's a promotion or a raise waiting for you, it is not interesting to wait any time for that you that's need right. to get it and you need to get it done because you know also for every job and every promotion and every raise there's 10 other people you know in line behind you for that <laughs> that's right it's just you know that's why we all work uh, ungodly hours and do all the things we do right uh, competition for our jobs
1: we don't talk about that
0: because
1: <laughs> it makes students depressed but, you
2: know, the traditional students... Are
0: you student- saying you don't go home at 5 o'clock and just put your feet up for the rest of the evening? That's yeah, I was, what I do.
1: I was walking home with some students that I didn't really know, but we were just having this conversation. And I said, you know, I, what, you, what does your night look like? Oh, I got a bunch of homework. And I said, yeah, me too. Doesn't yeah. It doesn't <laughs> end. No, does.
2: it does not. Well, and those traditional students, too, you know, there's a rare... With a rare exception, you know, the student who knows exactly what they want to do let's say it's a student who says I know I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to need to be in school for a long time so if I could shave off you know half a year from my undergrad that would be great but they're also not thinking about the cost nine times out of ten you know whether it lasts an extra semester an extra year you know but for an adult student it is 100% about that cost and they want it quick and they want it as inexpensive as as it can be well and honestly the
0: the university has uh, has adapted that 18 year old mindset and saying well you know we'll just offer this class once every other year and if students are off track somehow they'll just add a year to well my goodness not only not only is that that's just bad customer service. Even for the regular, eighteen to twenty-two year olds, that's bad customer service. But but yeah. for an adult, they would not tolerate that for one second.
1: They'd just take another course. Yeah. Well, it's um, I'm convinced that all of our faculty and staff believe in this, even though they don't always recognize it. Because if there's any value that is shared by every employee at a university, it is the value that we want to help every person with upward mobility, that we want to help every person we can in order to build a better society, better communities, better families. Um, we all share that value. And once once we think through, oh, yeah, and there's this big segment of our community that can't come to face-to-face, then I, I just see people saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it this makes sense, this, this is my value, I want to be part of this. Let's make sure we do it well. And that's what you're helping us do, Phyllis, is helping us do it well.
2: Well, I will say that I haven't met one person on campus so far who did not share what you're describing in terms of their values and also um, incredibly open to dialogue about how to do it. Um, it's been really amazing, to be honest. Uh, folks just really interested in putting together the best possible program to meet the needs of these students that are going to be interested in them. So it's, it's been without exception, every person I've met. So you're exactly right about, about that, at least from the folks I've met.
1: Well, thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: You've been listening to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. We have had, as our in-studio guest, Phyllis Hauptfeld, who is the Managing Director for Academic Partnerships, which is an organization that SUU is partnering with to help us expand our online programs. Thank you, Phyllis, for joining us, and thank you, our devoted listeners, for joining us with your ears. We look forward to seeing you again, or having you hear us again or whatever it is that you do with podcasts. We'll be back again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Solutions for Higher Education. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash presidents podcast where you will find both the audio and a written transcript of today's podcast. The original music for this podcast was composed by Jack Barton, a master's degree student in music technology at SUU. For more information about Southern Utah University, please visit www.suu.edu.